conference, he said, when we speak, we got to speak like we're talking to the thousands, not the hundreds. So praise the Lord, church. Amen. So we're going to do a little tag team here. Um, in a continuation to what we shared at uh, conference this week. How many of you enjoyed conference? Amen? That was such a powerful conference. And so uh, Pastor Grayson is going to take away with the first part. Praise the Lord, church. Tonight I get to share um, a message with you guys. With my partner in crime. <laughs> my partner in time. But who? my partner is fine. <laughs> there you go. Look at your neighbor tonight. Let them know, I know it's hard. I know it has been hard. But you've made it in. But you've made it in. In the beginning of this week, um, last week, the ending, the ending of last week, we had our conference. We got to share just a little bit about sports. So everything you guys hear tonight will be tying into that sports realm. So tonight is our Wednesday night service, the 1st of February. Wow. January is already gone, 11 more months till Christmas, <laughs> to a new year. So I heard this saying before that Wednesday night services is like our halftime service. And a lot of times during the week, it's one of the hardest times to make it through service. And I find that as a struggle for many people, especially myself. <clears throat> There's excuses that try to enter into our hearts, our mind, you know. We come through a busy day. We go through work. So when it comes time just around 6.30, 7 o'clock that you got to get in your car, get ready for service, and show up here at service, the devil tries to play tricks with your mind. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel like it today. My body is in pain. Or another good one is, uh, you know what, my children irritate me right now, so I'll just kick back and let it happen. Or even your spouse. The devil planted a lazy spirit on them, and they just decided to sit down. And guess what? That could have affected you. So when you made it into this halftime, that's to prepare you for the days to come, or like football terms, for the last two quarters. So keep in there. Hang in the fight, guys. We're almost there. God didn't bring you this far to let you down. Amen? We've gonna, we're going to share with you guys just a few things tonight. Yes, it is a continuation of our, our topic from... Saturday, I believe it was Saturday. And we, we spoke about a topic called driving in and through the spirits with your ohana in sports. Okay, so we'll be, we'll be continuing or tying in with that, um, that theme. So if we can put up um, Tiana's theme. I'll share with you guys just a little bit. You guys don't have to know what we talk about. Because yes, it is a continuation, but it's a whole new message. Amen. So I'll let my wife kind of share a little bit of her topic of what she spoke about. Yes, she spoke about sports in two different categories. Okay, so uh, Apostle gave us the theme sports. And I was sharing with our leadership. When he said sport, he said sports to Pastor Grayson. But he said sport to me. And I got confused. I was like, that doesn't even make sense. What the heck is a sport? And so I went, Googled it. And this is what the definition of sport popped up. It said if we can show the definition, it's a person who behaves in a good or specified way in response to teasing, defeat, or similarly trying situations. Amen? And it said, um, commonly we hear the word poor sport, like so-and-so, she's so poor sport, but you hardly hear the word sport. And so I Google, what is poor sport? It said, poor sport is a person who becomes unnecessarily emotional 
After being defeated at some sort of contest, regardless of the contest significance, regardless of the contest significance. Amen? And I kind of got to share a little bit about our situation when we were at Big Bear and how I kind of, just a little, got uh, unnecessarily emotional. All you women say amen. I know sometimes we get unnecessarily emotional and we let little things tick off our entire day. And so I talked about this situation. I thought I heard a man say amen. But women, men get very unnecessarily emotional. Amen? Amen? Guys, don't act like we're the only ones. Um, but that's what we talked about. We talked about in a situation where I became unnecessarily um, unnecessarily emotional. And uh, we talked about our colorful conversation that we had uh, in the van. A little embarrassing for me. But you know what? God used it for an awesome testimony. And so uh, those are the keys that we had. So sport, sport is a person who behaves in a good or specified way in response to teasing, defeat, or similarly trying situations. And poor sport was a person who becomes unnecessarily emotional. And so I use those two keys to tie into our theme, which is, if you can say it with me, stand fast and... Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Strive in the spirit. Just kidding. Still in last year. But strive in the spirit. Just kidding. You know what I meant. So strive in the spirit. But I was still standing fast and finishing strong. Uh, so strive in the spirit. And I tied it on how when we're striving in the spirit, we got to be a good sport. We got to be a good sport because there are going to be times where we want to become a poor sport, where we want to be unnecessarily emotional. And we're going to give our enemy the, our backs by looking at the assignment versus the battle. Amen? We got to know the difference between the assignment and what is the battle. And how do we identify that? It's by allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us to recognize that, hey, that's just the little egg. It's not the golden egg. Amen? Um, before we go ahead and move forward, my wife and I, what had happened was this morning that our apostle shared with us just about, about 12 o'clock that, hey, you guys are going to bring word. Now, right about that time, what I'm about to share kind of ties in with what she shared about being a poor sport. The enemy tried to use us as a distraction to have us have colorful conversations at that time to go through an argument that would distract us. He was already trying to plant that, and little did I know, but what I had to do as the head of my household was already step into a place with her. Not, I didn't know yet that uh, we were going to bring message, but I already had to set my position strong and go to her and ask her for forgiveness. She said, no, as soon as I did that, Apostle called, oh, hey, can you bring word? What? <laughs> I looked at my watch, I was like, it's almost church. <laughs> I know, I know. I said, okay. I just, I just said, I was obedient. I said, okay. And we already apologized. Therefore, everything was okay. But here's the good thing. The both of us separated at one point. Right before we started studying, I came, I picked up my daughter from school so that we would have no distractions. I took her out just about the time that she was about finished. I brought her home so she could sleep and we could study. But there was a time of separation where we, I removed myself from her, not because we were mad or anything. I just kind of walked away to set my, my mind straight. When I came back, guess what happened? The theme that God gave me, she already wrote it down. So it's for somebody here tonight. So I hope you guys are ready to receive an awesome word. Tonight's message will be, being, um, will be brought about how posture portrays your pursuit. Oh, how, your position, excuse me. How posture portrays your position. Okay, how posture portrays your position. I was going to share with you guys the three keys that I had for the conference, but we'll just move right into the word already. I feel the Holy Spirit 
leading us into that area. So posture, as you guys can see, there's many different sports, there's many different activities that you do that all determine what type of posture you have. So basketball, you have to have a, a strong foundation, standing up strong. Um, like hula, you have to have graceful, a graceful figure. Amen? Um, signs of praise, you got to be kind of firm, knowing what you're doing, knowing the motions. That's the kind of posture you have. But if you go a little bit into sports, let's say wrestling. Wrestling, you end up changing your posture a little bit stronger now. You got to be stronger in your legs, your upper half. So your posture begins to change. Why? Because for every sport, you defend something different. A lot of the times wrestling, you want to protect your bottom half. Amen? Just like your lives. That's your foundation. It's where you sit. You want to be planted. You want to be rooted. So wrestling, they, their posture changes. Okay? Boxing, they're strong. They want to be centered. Yeah, their body is centered. So they can move agile. Kickboxing, they can be more elusive. So everything has to do with posture. And you'll see exactly why we're tying in posture, how it portrays your position spiritually and through sports. If you ask me how spiritually ties into sports, when you make a field goal, what do they do? What do the referees do? Amen? That's exactly how we praise God. We lift up our hands in worship. Amen? But this is a Wainai posture. This is how we worship. How do we worship? We worship like this. Right? But how can I pertain that to sports? This is only for why not? This is the what posture. <laughs> yeah? So what posture? Then if you get up into a fight after, you immediately go into your prayer posture. Oh, forgive me. <laughs> okay, so we're going to be tying it into how posture portrays your position. Anyhow, before we do move on, there's this little boy and his dad. His father always tried to make him be the greatest. In everything he did. So the father told him one day, every time I come home, we're going to train. I want you to be the greatest hitter ever in baseball. The greatest hitter. So he said, okay, dad, teach me how to do it. So the father says, okay, pick up this ball, throw it up and hit it. If you get three strikes, you're out. But you need to hit it because you're going to be the greatest hitter ever. How do you know, dad? I know everything. Okay, dad. So he picks up the ball, throws it up, swings, and he misses. So that's his strike one. So the boy, he doesn't really understand. He's just training. Throws the ball up again. Strike two. The dad starts scratching his head. Come on. Trying to train you to be the greatest hitter ever. You got to hit the ball first. Third one. He throws it up. His eyes on it. He's focusing. Swings. Strike three. The dad's like, oh, man. The son goes, wow, dad. I'm the greatest pitcher ever. <laughs> amen, amen. But I'd like to move straight into our word. If you guys have your guys' Bibles, I'll turn it over to my wife. We will be tag teaming here. But I'll let you go ahead and share. All right. Uh, so our title is Posture Portrays Our Position. Amen? Posture portrays your position. The posture of which you uphold shows you where you will be positioned with your next move. Amen? And so... Uh, Apostle, or Pastor Gaisen woke me up, and he was like, you know, Apostle said that we have to bring word. And I was like, what, right now? He's like, yeah, you have to bring word. I was like, me? He's like, yeah, he automatically assumed that it was going to be me. And so he said, you're going to bring word. And I was like, oh, well, okay. So I could have immediately said, oh, no, this isn't for me, you know. I could have easily postured myself to say, oh, it's just an assignment, you know. I could have easily done that. But I said, no, I'm going to posture myself. So I said, okay, apostle said, so I'm going to get in posture. So I opened my word, and um, like Pastor Gaisa was sitting next to me, opened our word. 
And I was just like, okay, I don't know what to talk about. Like, Lord, speak to me. And so Pastor Gracie went to the bathroom, and God said, your posture portrays your position. See, when our leader comes to us and he says, hey, I need you to give word, or hey, I need you to clean the bathroom, the position of which we posture ourselves tells us where we will be positioned next. Amen? So when, when Pastor Grayson said, I said, you know what, I'm jumping on it because I know when I posture myself, I'm positioning myself for my blessing. I'm positioning myself for advancement. I'm positioning myself for, for promotion. Amen? And so that's what our theme was, is posture portrays position. And so I wrote it in my book, and I closed my book because Pastor Grayson was coming out, so I didn't want him to know that God spoke to me. So I was like, oh, I just closed the book. And so I closed the book, and he's like, oh, my gosh, God gave me a good word. And I said, oh, yeah, he did? What was it? He said, we're going to talk about posture. But what he didn't know was before he went into the bathroom, I went on his phone to go and try and uh, get started on my word. And I opened it, and the text from Apostle was there. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to read it. And Apostle was like, hey, Pastor Grayson. Yes, I read the text. Uh, it says, hey, Pastor Grayson, um, I'm a little tied up tonight. Would you be able to handle word? I know you might get called in, but do you think you can handle? And you know what he said? He said, amen. It's okay, Pastor. Um, it's okay, Apostle. I got this. I'm prepared and I'm ready. And I was thinking in my head like, but you might get called in. And he told Apostle, if not, Tiana got it. Tiana got it. She can take care of it. And I was like, how dare you volunteering my services? Um, but you know what? God is good. And so I opened my book, and Pastor Grayson said, posture portrays your position. And I was just in awe. I was like, wow, Lord, this is straight from you. This is straight from God. And so posture portrays position. Let's go to Genesis 37, verse 1. We're going to talk about a man named Joseph. A man who knew how to position himself in every situation. And we're going to kind of do a little Bible studies here. So we're going to run through um, the whole storyline about Joseph and uh, the, the way he positioned himself in the midst of adversity, in the midst of all the trials that he went through. Amen? And so we have a little diagram here, if Shelly could pull it up. And we're going to talk about the bigger picture of what Joseph went through. Because a lot of times, we don't understand position um, as easily when we don't see the bigger picture. So this is Joseph's life, his lifespan. We're going to talk about all of these different trials that he went through and situations. So uh, jo uh, Genesis 37, verse 1. I know you guys can see the, how it goes up and down is different. Um, how the line is drawn. Just imagine your guy's lifeline like that. But how much more lines get, how much more valleys get in hills, yeah? When you guys go through this story, you'll see the amount of times that God was with him no matter what circumstance he was going through. So I encourage you today, listen to what God has to say because he's with you. Whether you think he's not or whether he is, God is always there. Amen? So I'll begin reading. I'm reading it in the um, NLT, New Living Translation. So we're going to so, start with the dream, Joseph's dreams, Genesis 37, verse 1. We're both up here because Apostle wanted, he did want us both to share, but he wanted us to tie back into the sports realm again. So that's why we're tag teaming. Okay. So Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. So Jacob settled in again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived. This is the history of Jacob's family. 
when Joseph was 17 years old, the man that we were about to talk about, when Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilah and Zilpha. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. How many of you guys get children like that? Rat out their brothers and sisters. <laughs> okay. Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things he, his brothers were doing. Verse 3 says, Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children, because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful robe, which is also known as the robe of many colors. Verse 4 says, But his brothers hated Joseph because their father's um, partiality. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, causing them to hate him even more. Listen to this dream, he announced. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. My bundle stood up, and then your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before it. This is where you guys can already visually see posture and his position, the authority that his dream kind of gave him. Okay, so I'll stop there, and I'll let my wife kind of go over um, the rest of this verse. So it says in verse, before I do, it says in verse 8, So you are going to be our king, are you? His brothers taunted, and they hated him all the more for his dream and what he had said. So if you look back at the diagram, the first, the uptime or the hill that he had was a favorite son. So right there you can mark uh, Genesis 37 verse 1 as a citation to his favorite son. And um, I remember one time Pastor, and Pastor Gleason and I were sitting down in the car and we were having a little devotional. And God led me back to our devotional that we had that day. And that day, this is what we wrote. It says, they hated him because of his dream and mockingly called him the dreamer. Here's today's devotional thought. Your dreams will inspire people, no doubt. But your dreams will also summon opposition. They will cause a wide variety of reactions, including jealousy and anger. Some people might even want to kill you because of it. Why? Because you are disturbing the status quo. Every dreamer has to deal with critics. First of all, don't let any arrow of criticism pierce your heart unless it first passes through the filter of scripture. Amen? Second, you've got to come to terms with the fact that you, can't please, you can please people some of the time and some of the people all of the time, but you can't do both. You can't, ple you can't please all the people all of the time. You're going to offend someone. Ask yourself, who am I trying to please? God or man, your dreams are going to ruffle some feathers, but don't play chicken. Operate in the spirit of boldness, knowing that God goes before you. He turns harm away. Um, he turns harm away from others to you into kindness and good that only he can accomplish. And remember this, a compliment from a fool is really an insult. And an insult from a fool is really a compliment. So make sure you consider the source and never abandon the dream. Amen? Tell your neighbor, don't play chicken. Don't play chicken. Don't abandon the dream. And so that was, that was Joseph's dream. So that was his high, his first high. Um, he's a favorite son. And now we're going to go into his valley right now. Uh, so if you can turn with me to Genesis 37 verse 18. 
Genesis 37, verse 18. Now we're going to talk about his slavery part um, and how he was sold into slavery. So when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance and made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they exclaimed. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into a deep pit. We can tell our father that a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of all his dreams. But Reuben came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed his blood? Let's just throw him alive into the pit here. That way he will die without our having to touch him. Reuben was secretly planning to help Joseph escape, and then he would bring him back to his father. So when Joseph arrived, they pulled off his beautiful robe and threw him into the pit. This pit was normally used to store water, but it was empty at the time. Then Jesus, as they were, um, just as they were sitting down to eat, they noticed a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking spices, balm, and myrrh from Gilead to Egypt. Judah said to the others, what can we gain by killing our brother? That would just give us a guilty conscience. Let's sell Joseph to those Ishmaelite traders. Let's not be responsible for his death. After all, he is our brother, and his brothers agreed. So when the traders came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and the Ishmaelite traders took him along to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the pit. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in anguish and frustration. Then he, bent, um, then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone. What can I do now? Then Joseph's brothers killed a goat and dipped the robe into it in his blood. They took the beautiful robe to their father and asked him to identify it. We found this in the field, they told him. It's Joseph's robe, isn't it? Their father recognized it at once. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal has attacked and eaten him. Surely Joseph has torn it in pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. The mourn, the mourn deeply, or he mourned deeply for his son for many days. His family all tried to comfort him, but it was no use. I will die in the morning for my son, he would say, and then began to weep. Meanwhile in Egypt, the traitor sold Joseph to a man named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. The king of Egypt, Potiphar, was a captain of the palace guard. Amen. So that was Joseph when he was sold into slavery. So this is, this is one of the first assignments that he had. He was envied because he had a dream. He had a dream that God spoke to him. And God, God spoke to Joseph and he said, you're the dreamer. You're the dreamer or you're the interpreter of the dreams. You're going to interpret all these dreams. And Joseph was just fulfilling his calling. That's what he was doing. He was doing God's work by interpreting all of these dreams. And so... There's a lot of times um, when we're, when, for example, if you were sold out by your family, how would you feel? Probably hurt, first of all. Angry, maybe. Maybe your posture wouldn't be the way you thought it would be. When, when people backstab you, your intent is get back and not to posture up for something greater, right? So God is sharing with us here um, in Joseph's slavery how he postured himself. Even in the midst of being sold out by his own family, God was about to posture him for something great. And so it continues on uh, in Genesis 39. Genesis 39, verse 1. And we go into Joseph in the Potiphar's house. And so he's already sold. His brother's already sold him. And now we're going to enter into the Potiphar's house. So we can go ahead with 39. 
So it says in verse 39, Now when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, a member of the personal staff of, of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. So Joseph naturally became quite a favorite with him. Potiphar soon put Joseph in charge of his entire household and entrusted him with all his business dealings. From the, last, or from the day Joseph was put in charge, the Lord began to bless Potiphar for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs began to run smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have a worry in the world except to decide what he wanted to eat. Amen. And so this here, there's, there's a couple keys in this scripture. If we could go back to 39 uh, verse 4 or verse 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed. Potiphar noticed this and realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. So the next key, it says, verse 4, so Joseph naturally, if you have your Bibles, underline that word naturally. Joseph naturally became, quite underline, a favorite with him. So underline naturally and favorite. Potiphar soon put Joseph in charge, underline that, of his entire household. So we're underlining naturally favorite in charge an entire household. Then it goes on and it says, from the day Joseph was put in charge, the Lord began to press po bless Potiphar for Joseph's sake. Now Nalani talked about opening up the windows of heaven when you plant a seed. You got to know that when you plant your seed, it's not just for you. It's not just for your blessing. She said it's for those who are also connected to you. Amen. And Potiphar is now connected to Joseph. And so it says, Joseph is in charge and of his entire household and entrusted him with all of his business dealings. From that day, Joseph was put in charge and the Lord began to bless Potiphar for Joseph's sake. And it says, all of his household affairs began to run smoothly and his crop and livestock flourished. So underline flourished. Now, this is one of the, um, one of the ways that he positioned himself. And we're going to tie this all in, but bear with us. We just want to show the bigger picture of where Joseph is going with this. And so those keys naturally favor in charge, entire household, and flourish. Amen? So we're going to continue on here. Um, yeah, we can continue on from there. So again, in verse 6, it says, So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there... He didn't have a worry in the world except to decide what he wanted to eat. I wish life was like that for me. Now Joseph was a very ha whoa. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man like Pastor Geisen. Did you guys see that? I thought that that's what it said. Oh, the, the word of God is the truth. And about this time, Potiphar's wife began to desire him. Hey, Potiphar's wife. And invited him to sleep with her. But Joseph refused. 
Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I ever do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on him day after day. But he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he was doing his work inside the house. She came and grabbed him by his shirt, demanding sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but as he did, his shirt came off. She was left holding it as he ran from the house. When she saw that she had his shirt and that he had fled, she began screaming. Soon, all the men around the place came running. My husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to insult us, she sobbed. He tried to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard my loud cries, he ran and left his shirt behind with me. She kept the shirt with her, and when her husband came home, came home that night, she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you had around, have had around her here tried to make a fool of me, she said. I was saved only by my screams. He ran out leaving his shirt behind. After hearing his wife's story, Potiphar was furious. He took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. So if we take a look at that graph again, we can shoot that graph up again. So from favorite son, favorite son, he went to slavery. And then we talked about how in slavery, God promoted him because he kept his posture. He promoted him to um, the household manager. And now we're going back down now because Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's wife told a lie and um, is now taking him into imprisonment. So now we're going down again. So these, these slumps, these slumps are what Joseph is going through. But amidst what it looks like, his posture is straight. His posture remains steady. So even in the trials of which he's going, remember his posture. He still upholded his posture. So we're going to go into Joseph put into the prison. Verse 19. After hearing his wife's story, Potiphar was furious. He took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. But the Lord was with Joseph there, too. And he granted Joseph favor with the, with the chief jailer. Before long, the jailer put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The chief jailer had no more worries after that because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him, making everything run smoothly and successfully. And so this is another situation of um, him posturing himself. It says here in verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph there too, just like how he was when he was in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with him there too. And he granted Joseph favor, again, so underline favor, with the chief jailer. Before long, the jailer put Joseph in charge, underline in charge, of all the other prisoners and over everything so we can underline everything that happened in prison the lord was with him making everything run smoothly and successfully see it didn't matter where joseph was it didn't matter if he was in the pits in the palace in jail it didn't matter because he operated in the spirit of god he kept his composure amidst all the adversities and god was able to grant him favor in the first part when we talked about potiphar's house God didn't just grant him favor. It says, 
So Joseph naturally become, became a favorite. See, favor is something you got to speak upon yourself. But when you operate with God, it comes naturally. Amen? And so Joseph had natural favor. Also in here it says, before long, the jailers put Joseph in charge. Again, the same situation of which he was in Potiphar's house where he gave him control. The jailer was now giving him control and putting him in charge. Not over just one thing, but everything. And because he was connected, everything ran smoothly, it says, and was successful. Amen? We catching it here? And so we're going to move on and we're going to um, talk about Joseph's um, interpreting the two dreams in verse 40. And so we'll speak about Joseph's um, interpreting the two dreams, yeah? So again, Joseph went from being with his family, from being the crowd favorite, to being sold into slavery. From being sold into slavery, he met a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was the officer, chief officer, under a man named Pharaoh, uh, under Egypt, yeah? So you can see his lifeline, how it's going up and down and up and down. <clears throat> so in verse 40, it says, Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, or also known as his butler, and chief baker offended him. Pharaoh's two main guys, two officials, offended him. Pharaoh became very angry with these officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of Potiphar, the captain of the guard. Okay, excuse me, sweet. And he put them in the prison where Joseph was. Sorry, so you can go back. In the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. Now, I'm not sure if you guys can already visualize where God is going with this and how he's aligning and posturing Joseph's lifestyle by meeting new people, by bringing divine relationships into his life. This is where God is starting to position him without him even knowing. Like, where in prison would you think that you could be used by God? How do you think at the lowest point of your life that God would want to use somebody like you? But that's how favored Joseph was. So it says in verse 4, they remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, the two guys, who looked after him. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream in one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. See, the only reason how Joseph would know that they would look upset when they were given to him that he put them in charge, um, that he was placed in charge of those two, he spent time with them. If you spend time with them, you know somebody's emotions. You know the way they look. You know how, if they're angry or if they're happy. So this is the only way that Joseph got to understand, hey, something's wrong with these two. They were never acting the way they do. Something must have happened. But in the verse, it said that they both had dreams. So why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. This is what Joseph's reply was. Interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his, his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represents three days. How many days? Three. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position 
as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me, this is what Joseph is telling him, when you go back to Pharaoh, please remember me and do me a favor. When things go well for you, mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I would... So right there, so he was kind of in a slump because now the imprisonment was going on. It was still going on. He was still in prison. And so God revealed to us and he said, you know, there's times in our lives where we're going to feel like we're in a slump. But we got to know to stop gazing. Apostle shared a good word at our leadership. And he talked about gazing and how the people saw God leave. But instead of putting their hands to the plow, they were caught gazing. They were staring in space. And, you know, there's times when we're in their slump, we're going to start gazing. But God says, no, keep doing the work of God. And Joseph's, Joseph's job was to interpret dreams. And so amidst having to be in that slump of being in imprisonment, he continued to interpret. And you know what that was? That was his seed. He planted a seed. And we're jumping ahead of ourselves. But we're, he planted that seed. And even if it didn't come to pass then, you're going to see that there's a time for harvest for him. Amen? And so it continues on. It says in verse 15, For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream. I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white um, pastries stacked on my head, stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three basket also represents three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impel your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker, just like Joseph said, to join the other officials. So they were invited back into the kingdom. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impelled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Two full years later, talk about patience. Two years later, some of us need our blessings right now. And I know this is taking kind of a long time reading through these verses. And I spoke to my wife, you know, I think we should kind of just abbreviate it, put it in a small passage and share it. She said, no, that's not what God said. Okay, I'm in agreement with you. If God needs to paint the picture, everybody get ready and bring out your canvases. So it says, two full years later, patience, long-suffering, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and began grazing in the, uh, in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up from behind, behind them from the Nile. But these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the river bank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. But he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time, he saw seven heads of green, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. And seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled 
and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for the magicians and wise men of Egypt. But remember what um, Joseph said, interpreting dreams is God's business. Already Pharaoh leaned on the wrong thing. He relied on the wrong people. It says, the next morning Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told, him their, his, told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with Chief Baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the Chief Baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. He was quickly brought from the prison after he shaved and changed his clothes. He went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard... That, when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. I can't, Joseph said, but God can. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. In my dream, he said, I was standing on the bank of the Nile River, and I saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and be begin grazing in the marsh grass. So if we look at the graph, he went through imprisonment, imprisonment, prison manager, and now we're ongoing imprisonment, but God is about to promote him to the second in command of Egypt. And so he's preparing him right here. And it says in verse 15, but I have heard, see, when you hear, when someone hears something from someone else, it's God who's speaking to them. So that right there represented favor upon Joseph. He heard. So we're going to underline that. But I heard that you can interpret dreams. See, Pharaoh, this dream to Pharaoh was everything because his own power couldn't even, even open up what the dream meant. And so it was everything to him. And God gave Joseph the ability to interpret that dream for him. And it continues on and says, and that is why I have called you. So just like the other situations that he was going through, God still showed him favor. He still put him in charge and over everything, which was the dream. And he was successful at it. He was successful at interpreting the dream that Pharaoh could not. Amen? So that's the third situation of which he was able to um, posture himself for God's promotion. And so now we're going to move on into the promotion. Can we go to verse 25? says, Joseph responded with, um, to Pharaoh's dreams after Pharaoh had shared it. He said, both of the dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain 
withered by the east wind, represents seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it. For God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. And then can we go to verse 37? It says in verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of, this dreams, of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all of my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than you. And so we wrote some keys down here that you might want to write down. It says, how posture is form. How posture is form. Or actually, let's do the, the second one. Um, we're going to come back to that one. When you, are, when you posture yourself with the Holy Spirit, there are three things that happen. When I posture myself with the Holy Spirit, the first thing is he grants favor. Now, in the three the different scenarios that we're going through, so Potiphar's house, it says, Joseph, so Joseph naturally became a favorite. In prison, it says, Joseph was favored by the jailer. And then it says here, but I have heard that you interpret the dream. And like I talked about it, when people hear about you, only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit has a way of turning situations in your favor. Amen? And so the first key is favor. When I position myself with the Holy Spirit, I'm calling favor upon myself. Not just any kind of favor, natural favor. Favor that comes naturally to me. Why? Because I operate in the Holy Spirit. I'm striving with the Holy Spirit. See, there's one common denominator with all of us who are striving in the Spirit. When we're striving in the Spirit, we're all posture different. Why? Because we all come from different situations, different Different things. We all go to different things. When we walked in here today, some of us were dealing with our spouse. Some of us are dealing with health. Some of us are dealing with whatever circumstance it is. But we're all postured differently. But our common denominator that we have is the Holy Spirit. And when you know that we're all linked by the Holy Spirit, we're all postured different. Maybe you're postured like a golfer. Maybe you're postured like a fighter because we're all fighting different battles, but when we all have the Holy Spirit, we're able to posture and move forward. Amen? So, key one, natural favor. Key two, he puts you in charge. When we align ourselves with the Holy Spirit, he puts you in charge. It says here in Potiphar, in Potiphar's home, it says, Joseph naturally became a favorite. Potiphar soon put Joseph in charge of the entire household. When God puts you in charge, he doesn't say, oh, you're just in charge of this. You don't just have dominion over the fish in the sea. You have dominion over everything. And so that was his first example in Potiphar's house. And then he takes you to the prison. And he says, Joseph, the jailer put Joseph in charge, again, of all the other prisoners and over everything. Key number two, he puts you in charge of everything. When I align myself and I position myself with the Holy Spirit, he puts me in charge of everything. Key number three, you become successful. In Potiphar's house, it says, all of his household affairs began to run smoothly when he put Joseph in charge. 
And his crops and his livestock began to flourish. Amen? And that's where we talked about the seed sown. When you sow a seed, not just your stock, but everyone else that you're connected to will flourish. In prison, it says, the Lord was with him, making everything run smoothly and successfully. Again, see, it didn't matter where he was. He knew how to posture himself in every situation. He knew how to posture himself when he had bad health. He knew how to posture himself when his kids were being disobedient. He knew how to posture himself in his daily activities with maybe his co-workers. Every situation, he knew the right posture for the situation. And see, you're not going to go golfing and posture yourself like this, right? Because you're out of a line. That's not the assignment. That's not the posture for the assignment. So you got to know. You got to know the assignment. You got to know the, ba the battle. You got to know what posture to use. Amen? So posture also um, allows you to become successful. As you can see, I take my wife golfing a lot. That she likes to use that. She's very supportive in what I do. <laughs> Especially my sports. Sometimes I like to get into some very expensive hobbies. But then I just start to think about it. Like, oh, she buys me a lot of expensive stuff for my hobbies. And then I like, she really bought me that? You deserve it. Okay, I deserve it. You're right, God. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. So those are our three keys. Posture yourself with the Holy Spirit. Allows you to have favor, puts you in charge of everything, and allows you to be successful. And the next key is how posture is formed. So first, posture is formed in your mind, in your thinking. For example... When, in your thinking, okay. So Scarlett, little Scarlett, she's such a joy, man. She just knows the right words at the right time. And she just, she's just so funny, her. And there was one time I was calling Scarlett in the kitchen, and I, like, something fell, something fell. So I was holding it, but I was holding Bubba. And I was like, Scarlett, because I needed her to grab something so I don't drop one or the other. And so I said, Scarlett. And I think she thought I was calling her to go do something for me. And so she turned the corner and she was like this. Yeah. I was like, you're two years old. You're not supposed to be doing that, little girl. And so her posture already, she was already mad or in her head, she was thinking, mom's going to make me do something, you know. Mom's going to make me go outside and grab the slippers or shut the door. You know, mom's going to make me do something. And so in her mind, she began to think something. She began to think things. And then she created an attitude. See, a lot of times when how postures form is, we think things like, oh, they're going to make me do this. So, you know, I'm going to just give this attitude because if they see this attitude, they're not going to want to give it to me. And that's what she did. She, she thought I was going to do something to make her exert energy, I guess. And she postured herself in a way that was like, and we do that sometimes. So God is reminding us that our posture starts in our mind, the way we think. And then you wear it. You wear it as an attitude. It can be a good attitude. It can be a bad attitude. For example, when Apostle told us that we're going to give word, I could have said, oh, man, I don't have the things to, to share with the church. You know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not qualified. I could have done that. That would have been my thinking process. But you know what I thought? I said, no ways. If God is speaking to apostle, I got to position myself because he's going to use me 
And so I had to change my mindset. And I said, no, Lord, because when you use me, I have my blessings around the corner. I'm opening that window of heaven for me to receive that. And so I had to change my mindset. I had to start thinking like, Lord, you're going to use me and I'm going to use this as promotion. Yes, I want to bring glory to you, but I want to make sure my thinking is right. And so it starts in your mind. You create an attitude. Three, you wear it. You portray it. Your posture portrays your position. When you posture yourself, how many of you know, can read your husband's body language or your wife's body language? Amen, just me? When he does the eyes, like, that's okay, come on, we gotta go. Or when he does the, that means I did something wrong. See, husbands and wives, you gotta know how to read your spouse. You gotta know when they're saying, okay, it's time to go. You gotta know when they're saying, okay, no, don't do that. Without even saying a single word. See, posture does that for you. When you posture yourself, you don't even have to tell me what you're thinking. I know it. Your body language speaks on its own when you posture yourself. And it says four, people recognize it. When you come to work or whatever and you're having a bad day, you're thinking it, you have attitude, you're wearing it, and everyone around you can recognize it. That's the scary thing about posture. It can either be a good thing or a bad thing. Amen? I understand that Joseph went through a lot of things. And just to kind of portray what, what posture means, just in the physical sense. Maybe. Um, can you take off your lay? I'm going to show you guys just a little demonstration of something that I enjoy, something that I love to do. And which um, resembles posture more than anything else that I can actually think of. You can put your mic down. So bear with us. We're almost done. You can erase this from the scene as well. But you can. This is what posture is for me, okay? For my wife and I, our theme is basically everything to do with family, right? Thriving through, uh, striving in the spirit in and through your family. Now, I do something that I never thought that my wife would want to do. And because she's... Because of our marriage classes, we learn to adjust. We learn to take into perspective what our spouse wants to do. And for us, we can always try and change our spouse, but they're never going to change. They're only going to change if they love you, right? So my wife, come. I like to grapple. It's something that I enjoy doing. It tests you. It tests your strength. It tests your ability. It tests you in what you know. It tests you a lot at your breaking point. At times you feel like you want to tap out of life. You want to give up on everything else. That's where you learn the real you if you're willing to fight through. This is, one of the, this is what posture up means for us. Okay? So if I'm in, in, on, on my back and my wife is in my guard. Can the camera come down? Yep. Okay? If you guys can see, you can. Yes. We're going to do it. This is my eyes that we're going to do it. Okay? Got it. Okay? This is what, in grappling, um, one of the submissions which I like to do, which my wife um, just recently started coming. And I, I really appreciate it because there's times in our life that husbands, we're not going to get to defend our wife every given moment. Sometimes you're separated from them. And this is why I appreciate that she comes so she learns, she knows how she can defend herself. So, Bam, can you hold the mic too? Can you come over here? Okay. 
So if I'm in, in my position, if you guys kind of see, you can watch the screen. A lot of the times, this is what the enemy likes to do. He likes to give you the advantage of feeling like you're in control. Okay? So in your posture, this is where you need to know when the enemy is moving on your behalf. You need to understand his movements. And you don't understand that if you have never been in a situation. That's why God put you through tests. That's why he put you through challenges, through your circumstances. So you know and you strengthen yourself of how to get out of it. So this is something that um, we do in grappling. Okay? A lot of the times, the enemy closes his guard. Correct? Now in grappling, what you like to do is, if you... If you can close your guard, that means you're controlling their bottom half. You don't have to worry about their top half. Okay? Now, if I want to take her top half away, I need to make sure that I control the top first. Then I can let go my bottom guard. So the reason why I say that, a lot of times the enemy makes you feel like you still have a piece of you. So even if you took your top half away, he'll let go of your bottom. You still feel like, ah, everything's okay. I'm good. I'm just not going to go to church today. You know what? I'm just going to take... Take time away for just a little bit. I think everything is all right. But little do you know the enemy still has control over you. So whether even he has you closed in guard, you feel like you're in control because you still can move your top hand. You still can praise God. You still can worship. You still can close your eyes. You still can pray. It doesn't matter. But the enemy still has control over you. He can still tell you when to pray. He can still tell you when to worship. Unless he doesn't want you to do that, he'll take away your hands. Even if you can stand up from this position, he still has control over you. So what you need to learn is how to posture. So this is one of the submissions that they like to use in grappling. So I'll put my wife in a, in a triangle. Sorry, excuse me. The reason why I'm talking about posture and position, the first line of defense when you know, only if you know what the enemy is doing, what your opponent is doing, this is what you have to do first. Right, right, if you know the submission that's coming, the problem that's coming your way, the first thing you do, you put your hand in a prayer posture. Everybody look. Can you see? This is, not what, this is not the term at all. But spiritually, this is exactly what you need to do in line of defense for yourself. Amen? So we talk about posture and positioning. I put my wife in a, in a submission. The first thing she has to do is put her hand in a prayer posture. The very next step is what's most important. No matter how far the devil takes you, no matter how submitted you think you are, how weak you think you feel, the next step for you to do is posture up. Okay? Everybody seeing that? You can stand up, honey. As soon as the enemy starts to move on your behalf, he'll take away your bottom. He'll take away your top. He'll give you one set. He'll take away another. What we said in the... In the conference, there's many doors that God can open for you which no man can shut. But when God shuts that door, also know that no man can open. So when he does open a window of opportunity for you to get out of situations, you need to know how to posture up. It deals physically with you, your health, your physical being. But if you don't know what to do, you don't understand the attacks that the enemy is sending, you'll just remain in his submission and you'll tap. So you got to know how to keep fighting. And that's why I appreciate our apostle so much because he never shows a sign of weakness. One time I, I think I got a denial from something that I've been wanting so much. And the first person I called was my wife because she needs to know my emotions. 
Second person I called was my pastor, our apostle. And I explained to him what was going on. First thing he said to me, which I was in shock, he was like, hey, shut up. I was like, this is, is this my dad? You're supposed to be comforting me. My posture went from crying, like feeling depressed when he said, shut up. I was like, you need to posture up even if the enemy has you. You can't let him see you sweat. He told me, son, shut up. Because I was bawling. I was like, he's like, shut up. And I sat up. I was like, whoa, that was unexpected. I told him that. I didn't expect you to say that. Later on, I told him that. He said, never let the enemy see you sweat, no matter what you're going through. So I understand our, our message tonight is all about the story of Joseph and how his lifeline went up, down, up, down, up, down. Yes, that's going to happen. Rather than it just being a flat line and you not doing anything in your life, you got to go down to go back up. But this is where he got his spiritual muscles from, his spiritual strength. At the time that he was in the valleys, at the time that he was in the pit, that's where he found out who he was. That's when God sent favor his way, not when he was at the top. It was when he was in the valley. It was when he was in the prison. Then he went to Potiphar's house. It was when his brothers tried to take, take him out of the pictures, when they tried to eliminate him. They tried to kill him. But guess what all of that favor did? Provided for his family because there is a famine coming to the land. Are you there for your family when the famine comes? Are you willing to stand in there, posture up, and position yourself for the blessing, not just for you? Because we strive in the spirit in and through our ohana. It's for our family. Amen? Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, we can close in a prayer. I was singing, but that's not my calling. I just can posture up and just pray, raise my hand up here. Oh, Deacon Red, go sing. <laughs> Deacon Red. <laughs> Thank you, May we all rise at this time. Heavenly Father, at this time, I just...